everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. And my co-host today, I, what a star, what a celebrity, what a get for Feeling Seen. Um, I first came across this person when I worked at Vulture, and uh, he, along with his, let's say, creative partner, so we buried the lead a little bit, uh, would participate in Vulture Festival events and were always the most kind and hilarious people um, that would that would be a part of our sort of weekend uh, crew extravaganza. We were just packing in all this entertainment. They would be the most gracious, most wonderful, and again, most hilarious. And then since that time, you might have seen this individual, Matt Rogers, on shows like I Love That For You or movies like Fire Island. His voice has popped up in many a place um, across like animated works. And his voice has also popped up in places like his new album, Have You Heard of Christmas, which is the album extension off of the Christmas special from on Showtime, Have You, Have you Heard of Christmas, which was performed live at Joe's Pub and recorded. Matt Rogers, what else do the people need to know about you before we get started today? Oh my gosh, you've done such an amazing holistic job of really getting me across, and I thank you for <laughs> that, Jordan. Of course. Um, I guess people can come see me on tour. I'm on tour right now, all, all of December. You go to mattrogersofficial.com. I'm probably in your city. We booked most of them. So, um. <laughs> does the Christmas Prince get a Christmas break while he tours, or are you just on the road? That's a big no. I do not okay. get a break. I have Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Like, those can just sort of be holidays for me. I'm not working okay. those days. But I thought about it. I thought about doing a show on Christmas Eve, and then I was like, you know what? Why don't I give myself the holiday? I am royalty after all. <laughs> it, it feels like if you're going to do a Christmas or Christmas Eve show, it feels like it has to be at Rockefeller Center to like right. really earn it to be like, well, listen, I can't let down the eponymous song. My December 23rd show at, is at Town Hall, which is pretty close to Rockefeller Center. So I'm, I'm sort of giving the vibe. <laughs> I, I know you are a fan of the drag arts uh, and oh, yeah. uh, Jinx Monsoon and Ben de la Creme are such... Christmas royalty in their own right. I will cross 100%. my fingers for a Christmas touring crossover at some point in the future for you guys to be that the ultimate really holiday fun. extravaganza. I mean, that would be absolutely insane. I feel like um, I actually ran into them at the airport in D.C. last year. <laughs> I ran into them. We took a selfie, but um, we haven't been able to see each other's shows because we're touring at the same time. So maybe a team up <laughs> is the only way to rectify that. We were even in London at the same time performing. It was so weird. But yeah. when you when you Love were it. a guy um, playing sports in high school and I think <laughs> becoming prom king, were yeah. you imagining a future in which you were bumping into drag queens that you couldn't go catch their show because you were both touring your acts at the same time? In my wildest dreams, this was my life. I have to say, I'm definitely now living the life I want to live. I was living the life I think I was supposed to live in high school, sure. being uh prom king and all that but, and, mm -hmm. but it was just so much work it was so much code switching <laughs> my back hurt all the time from switching codes <laughs> um but uh yeah i got to college and then i was like why don't we just commit to the whole gay thing i really am gay as the day is long and so i'm not i, I think i'm just exhausting myself pretending to be this like straight jock and also it was so hard on my voice you know i was dropping my voice down here all the time to wow. try to sound straight which is just not good for vocal health and now i needed to be on tour in my gay christmas show 
<laughs> and there are a few things gayer than Christmas. So honestly, you really have hit, hit the nail on the head there. It's quite gay. Yeah, I mean, I was reading. I was reading an interview where you were talking about like Halloween is gay Christmas, and you were like, "Listen, cr- Christmas is also gay Christmas." Like Christmas is gay Christmas. I mean, like. <laughs> yeah. Halloween is just a gay holiday. Forget about it being gay Christmas. Like, don't take the gay away from Christmas. Christmas is pretty gay. We make the Yuletide gay. Hello. (laughs) It's right there in the song. I didn't even need to make an album for there to be gay Christmas songs. There's so many. I mean, Oh Holy Night, that's just an excuse for divas to belt. I mean, what's gayer than that? Okay, I can't wait to ask you about divas in a bit, but I feel like if I delay much longer the the topic of conversation, then I'll simply be halfway through the episode and it won't come up. But you have chosen such mm-hmm. a important character for I, a fellow millennial, yeah. uh, to discuss here today on the podcast. Please tell the folks at home who your point of identification in cinema is that we're going to talk about. Well, speaking of the whole sports of it all, speaking of the whole leadership of it all, I was captain of my <laughs> own track team and like I was a figure in my high school. I have chosen Torrance Shipman, played by Kirsten Dunst, in the <laughs> seminal teen film, maybe I think the defining teen film of the millennial generation. Bring it on, 2000s, bring it on. I My first and foremost question have to be is, how do you, because I have found that Bring It On has actually, there. it is so of its moment, like you said, a defining millennial high yeah. school teen film. And you, I feel like there are, maybe like five years ago, I watched it again, and I was like, ooh, does this not age well? And then by now, I'm like, I think this might have aged actually better than it yeah. was when it debuted. Oh, no, it ages incredibly well. I mean, it's it's the story of, you know, so Torrance Shipman is played by Kirsten Dunst. She's the captain mm-hmm. of this championship storied um, cheerleading squad, the Rancho Carne Toros. The and, Rancho um, Carne Toros. Yep, it's illustrated by the fact that basically no one is there to watch the football team. Everyone's there to watch the cheerleaders. Ever been to a cheerleading competition? Oh, you mean like a football game? No, not a game. Those are like practices for us. I'm talking about a tournament. ESPN cameras all around, hundreds of people in the crowds cheering. Wait, people cheering cheerleaders? That's right, lots of people. Here's the deal, Missy. We're the shit, the best. We have fun, we work hard, and we win national championships. I'm offering you a chance to be a part of that. They win um, a nationals every year. And mm-hmm. then when she becomes captain, she basically discovers that the captain prior to her has been stealing the routines from the East Compton Clovers, which is an mm-hmm. all-black cheerleading squad in East Compton. Uh, the captain of that team is Isis, played by Gabrielle Union. And so this really shakes Torrance to her core when she realizes <laughs> that all of their routines and basically their entire legacy is stolen. And, yeah, they're um, frauds. They're frauds. Yeah, it's basically um, it's a metaphor for cultural appropriation. It's a metaphor for colonization. It's a metaphor for <laughs> the need for reparations. I mean, it's incredibly um, you know prescient today, um, mm-hmm. and was well ahead of its time in 2000. Outside of just being a really funny, dynamic, sweet coming of age story. So I really, really, really love this movie and I was obsessed with it when it came on. It was on stars and it would air constantly on stars. <laughs> yeah. 
and Stars I would watch had like this. five movies then, yes. and it just aired the same ones all the time. I'm telling you, it was that, and also another Kirsten Dunst moment of culture was Drop Dead Gorgeous, and they would always air that movie. And I would watch Bring It On and Drop Dead Gorgeous sometimes yes. twice a day for months. <laughs> for months. That feels like being in a homosexual incubator. 100%. There is a gay agenda and yeah. it and it is happening and it is that and it is forming us and it's like putting us almost in an oven cooking us and sending us back out in the world. Yeah. Fully queer. Yeah, there's also some queer narratives in the movie Bring It On too. I mean like um Yeah, and that's one I wanted to bring up like there's there is a cheerleader. Is it less or is it Jan? I always flip them. It's less. It's less. There is a gay cheerleader in this like and not yeah. Not secretly so. Like as no. when um, Missy famously asks him, do you do speak, you speak fag? fag? Yeah, do you speak His fag? response is, oh, fluently. Oh, fluently. Everybody comes to see you ladies anyway. Because we're such fine athletes. I'll live with it. You'll be fighting off major oglers while we defend our sexuality. What is your sexuality? Well, Jan's straight. Well, I'm controversial are you trying to tell me you speak fag oh fluently and you know you kind of get the sense that missy can say that because i think there's a you case do. that missy is a lesbian um, yeah that missy and torrance are the one true pairing of bring it on i would agree and i would say that like you know even <laughs> missy gets called she gets called a dyke by uh, like she gets called yep. an uber dyke by one of the mm -hmm. other bitchy cheerleaders and you know she flees and they get they, they get together and they're this like ragtag group i remember like um, also, Les, his best friend is Jan, who's in the other male shielder, who's straight, who's very straight. Yeah. And they're close friends. And I just kind of, you know, I really liked seeing that. I think I was like 10, 11 years old. And I kind of liked seeing this out gay male cheerleader who had a close mm -hmm. male straight friend. And it seemed like yeah. he had a like, community that supported him. And he even got like a horny little meet cute at the end of the movie with another male cheerleader, which I thought was really great. And I don't know. Yeah. It, it never seemed to make fun of him. In fact, the people that were making fun of him for being gay were were the dumb ones. They were the joke. Yeah. Um, they were very much presented to the audience as like the idiots in the room. And also they sucked at football. So yeah. no one cares about them. 100%. As, as yeah. they say, dude, you just lost. You just lost. When he's making fun of them for cheering on the cheer squad. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Whoa. Sexy Leslie and Jan Jan, the cheerleading man. Hey, facts. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, just because we won more trophies than you guys, there's no reason to go get all malignant. Malignant this, tool. <laughs> One of these days, man. They let it go. They never even won a single game. It's gotta be kind of rough on them. Besides their dicks. So I think the movie well, looked great. I think it, and I think it, like, there's something, like, in that, that line, like, do you, do you speak fag? There is, like, the, that, I feel like, is one of those good encapsulations of, like, the, this movie's parlance of its time, that, like, at once was very of the late 90s, early 2000s way of talking and communicating, but also was completely apart from it and created a kind of language out from it where it wasn't like, well, we're not actually talking about that in real life, but Bring It On is going to do a thing where we bleed that language over and start borrowing from it. And it kind of presages a way almost that gay people will start talking to each other on the internet when mm -hmm. social media becomes proliferate. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. I, I always felt, especially during that time, like mm -hmm. that the use of that word was becoming mainstream in a way that I think I just internalized like 
one thing I always think back on at that time, you know, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, when I was actually really realizing mm -hmm. my sexuality, um, Eminem was like huge. So he was like the biggest pop yes. star of the time. Using the word yep. fag or faggot on All FM radio. Time. I mean, it was like a popularized yep. term that I don't even think we were counting as a slur yet because we barely counted gays as people. And so, yep, exactly. so, so basically like, it was this widely used, you know, way to degrade people. But I will say, yeah. like, there was something about the way that she said it and the way that he received it that felt like more community. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and I, therefore, I wasn't, like, pissed off with the movie for using the word fag because it felt like we were all a part of something and not being labeled something. Um, it feels like Missy is giving a secret handshake in that moment. It does. It does. Like, it, like in that moment, it kind of, like, locks in the, like, this is the new girl, but this car, we're all safe yeah, here. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, it did feel like a safe space. It did. You mentioned, like, right when you, um, you know, that you were kind of, it was kind of a thing in high school. Like, good at sports, you're prom king, that kind of thing. I want to hear about that from you as a kind of, like, you know, as you become a, a public figure in an entertainment industry sense. Mm -hmm. I want to hear from you about sort of, like, the comparison of, like, teen celebrity in that local way as like a sort of seed of or like a version of like adult celebrity in an entertainment way and like is there cross-pollinization between being the kind of like big public figure in the high school context and becoming a public figure as like a grown in, like person working in comedy art music oh that's so funny i also used to do the morning announcements um, <laughs> oh, yes. So I think there was always something about me that wanted to perform. I think that that's really what it is. I think that that mm -hmm. it's less like wanting attention and wanting to be in a leadership position, although I don't think I shy away from leadership positions. It's more mm -hmm. we, me wanting the stage and less mm -hmm. me wanting like the eyes on me and the whole talk. Everyone's sure. talking about me thing. You know what I mean? I, I genuinely think that like that especially in high school it was more about like validation it was more about just yeah. like hey just like see me as this good thing and not this bad thing you know what i mean mm -hmm. like that's what it was more to me in high school and now i associate like people knowing who i am and knowing what i'm doing with like the things i'm doing being good and catching on and like mm -hmm. hopefully me being attached to good projects and like doing a good job in those things but at the time mm -hmm. and i think that um it might be like this for some of the characters in the movie as well. It was kind of just like, I really wanted to be seen as a good athlete and maybe as mm -hmm. like funny and attractive so that they wouldn't call mm -hmm. me gay. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it was just about hiding more yeah. than it was about like needing attention because to be honest with mm -hmm. you, I did what I really didn't want and still don't want mm -hmm. is negative attention. I I I, oh, I, sure. I don't thrive on it. I don't believe that all press is good press. You know what I mean? Like I'm not that <laughs> yeah. kind of person. I I I genuinely try to like come in, leave a space better than I found it, and then like mm -hmm. whatever people want to say about that afterwards. Like I didn't give them a reason to say something negative, but. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that I do feel like you always did that if you guys came in for Vulture Fest and did like video stuff. Oh, that's I, good. I did feel that that was what you did. That's good. Well, thank you. We succeeded then. Um, but my thing is just like, I think in high school, it was really more just like for survival. It was more just mm -hmm. like I knew that 
if I were to be the out gay kid at school, that would be a really hard existence for me. It was hard anyway yeah. because I was spending so much energy trying to be this person that I wasn't. But I do think looking back, it was, you know, the aughts that I went to middle school and high school <laughs> on Long Island. And I this is, you know, uh-huh. obviously like George Bush era. Like I said, Eminem on the radio. I really needed mm-hmm. an identity that was going to help me camouflage at that time. I needed to just get through. I really needed to get mm-hmm. through. But I did have this thing inside me that wanted to perform too. So there I am doing the announcements. There I am on the prom court. There yeah. I am the captain of the track team. <laughs> and I think something I share with Torrance is I put a lot of personal validation and personal worth into doing mm-hmm. a good job at these things I was attached to because it meant that I was yeah. something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it it meant that Yeah, Torrance has a complete like personal crisis when this thing she has built her identity on and she's explaining to Jesse Bradford what cheerleading means to her and what it does for her. And she doesn't she's not just like pissed off as a as an athlete when that happens when she finds out about the truth of the team. She's she is broken as a no, person. Yeah, that's like, just, she this says is what that. I built my whole self around. She says that, but it's it, someone says like it's just cheerleading. She's like, I am just cheerleading. Do you know what this means? My entire cheerleading career has been a lie. I'm on the bright side. It's only cheerleading. I am only cheerleading. She, at that point in her life, genuinely thinks that if she is to fail, she's a failure. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like that. I felt like that constantly. I felt like that in school. I felt like that on track team. I felt like that, like, in social interactions. Like, I rarely went to parties because my social anxiety would take over and if i failed at that area it would mean i was a social failure like it was Mm -hmm. it was very um it was a very anxious time for me high school and i think Mm -hmm. i identified with her um sort of panicked way that she strived for (laughs) success and the the stakes being so high because the stakes were so Mm -hmm. high for me in high school too because there was something i was hiding or there was something I was not uh, reconciling yet. Our whole cheering career, we've staked our reputation on being the best, the most inventive. Now we finally have a chance to truly be original and you're all running scared. She's crazy. (laughs) I am not crazy and I'm not resigning as captain either. You're going to have to kill me first. That can be arranged. Did you feel like you were allowed to like bring it on as much as you did? I kind of watched it by myself, like in my back den. Okay. Like I can literally picture myself yeah. in the back room of my house, just like with the movie on again and again and again, watching it, watching it, watching it. And I honestly think that like, you know, my mother and father never really picked on me too much about the kind of things I wanted to watch because um, mm-hmm. I think they all just looked at it like teen culture. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. It, but, <laughs> and my parents were never you know they were never busybodies about me uh in my personal life anyway and like trying mm-hmm. to suss out if i was gay anyway so like i i never mm-hmm. really got um flack for watching these like i don't know also cute girls cheerlead you know what i mean like yeah maybe they wrote <laughs> yeah. it off in that way too but it was yeah i just love eliza dushku exactly i'm a huge eliza dushku fan um but and, and the fact is i was but probably not for the yeah absolutely not for the reason that they maybe thought or were uh telling themselves now you mentioned like this like i think that's such a great distinction that um that fear of like a failing making you a failure and 
you know, I guess like then my my question would be is at what point did you start sort of reconciling that the two of those things were not a given to one another? And also, like, how do you navigate like no having like a history with that feeling and, and attention with it? How have you learned to process it in yourself as being part of the entertainment industry? Something that uniquely picks mm-hmm. at that kind of anxiety. I don't know if I have necessarily reconciled with that. 100%. OK, you know, I still also great I still answer. take myself very uh, the things I do very seriously and which is funny because i think that one of the things i try to remember all the time is like when i'm creating work is don't take yourself too seriously like connect to your fun mm. like etc i've heard you talk about how like you are extremely entertained by people who take themselves too oh yeah seriously. no i think the funniest thing in the world is people that take themselves super seriously i think that what i still put a lot of um value in is you know, I, I, I do want people to receive the things I do well, and um, especially when I'm the creator of it. You know, in the entertainment industry, it's different because, like, you do get told no so many times, like when you're auditioning or when you're trying to sell things, et cetera, mm-hmm. that you kind of become numb to it, which is something that I'm honestly grateful for because I'm pretty great with mm-hmm. rejection now. But I will say whenever there comes a situation or a time where I do put a lot of emphasis or a lot of focus on mm-hmm. the result. I am hard on myself when uh, things don't go yeah. well. I, I am harder on myself personally now than I am professionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's, I feel like that's so often the story of an yeah. artist. Well, I also, right like, I, I feel like, I think my identities, my professional and personal identity often um, feel interchangeable. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know, just like with the album coming out, for example, I'm so happy it's succeeding. I don't know what I would feel <laughs> like if no one fucking listened to it. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I I, I just, I, but I'm happy I'm not living in that reality because I know myself and mm-hmm. I know that I have an ability to uh, go up and down. And I'm working on that with a therapist. I'm working on trying to like sure. um, take uh, personal validation outside of like every single professional thing because you can't. You know what I mean? You'll go crazy. Mm-hmm. This is such an up and down industry. It's such a weird business. Like, for example, most of the shows that I've been on have been canceled after one season. It's not my fault. Sure. But if I but if I no. if I chose to look at it like, you know, I'm part of this equation, then like I would go nuts. And like the, your life yeah. is too long. I guess that's another thing is like in high school, you don't believe that life is long. That's I remember one time in high school, my mom telling me like, well, you know, Time flies and it's just like the days they just go so quick. And I thought that was the dumbest yeah. thing. I was like, no, they, mom, there's 365 days in a year. That's so many days. Like, and this time, like, what do you mean time moves fast? Time is 60 seconds in a minute. Like the idea that time is not a static thing and that it in fact is fluid and you will experience it rushing by you or dragging past you alternately throughout your life. I thought that was bullshit. Yeah, and you just you just hang on to things in high school for way like now I just laugh about every single thing that happened in those four years. But at the time, it just felt so <laughs> definitive, you know. Like, and that's mm-hmm. I guess the bring it on of it all. Like, I was gonna say that's that's what makes bring it on so joyful yeah. is that like like you said the stakes are right. so high. But and also you know what's great is like at the end of the movie they all are. You realize, like, you know, in caring so much, they've created such a Mm -hmm. great moment. You know what I mean? Like, in caring so much and putting so much into that. And I did high school sports as well, and I know what these moments feel like. You've created lasting memories there. You know what I mean? They lose. The Toros come in second, but the Clovers win. 
and that was th- what was supposed to happen and everyone can learn something from it and everyone can remember yeah. what it feels like to succeed in some way and for like the right thing to be done in some way which is something i love about that and like you know i i relate to like the formative high school memories i had so second place how's it feel feels like first like i don't remember yeah of course, I do remember being stressed and closeted and et cetera. Like, I remember all of that. But <laughs> yeah. um, I don't remember the day-to-day, you know, friction. I do, but I do remember those, like, <laughs> those payoff moments like that happened in the movie. We've got to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll have more with Matt about Bring It On, Kirsten Dunst, and his journey from prom king to Christmas prince. Then I'll have one quick thing about some Christmas horror movies you can take in this holiday season because why not? Mix it up a little bit. You've seen It's a Wonderful Life enough, especially since you recently watched it thanks to the Stephen Tobolowsky episode. So let's uh, do some counter-programming to that at the very end of the show. If you're Black, you probably love you some Paramore, huh? Or what about the TV show Golden Girls? Ginger Ale? Daytime television? Don't lie, I know you love at least one of them. I'm Sequoia Holmes, pop culturist and host of Black People Love Paramore. Contrary to the title, it is not a podcast about the band Paramore. Each episode, I, along with a special guest co-host, dissect one pop culture topic that mainstream media doesn't necessarily associate with Black people, but we know we like. Tune in every other Thursday to the podcast that's dedicated to helping Black people feel more seen. Black People of Paramore is now on the Maximum Fun Network. Check out the most recent episode featuring Char Jassel today. Throughout history, sirens have captured men's attention, enticed men with their feminine wiles, and fulfilled men's primal needs. The sirens allure uh, persists. They have not. Unless the primal need is I need to be smashed on the rocks. Yeah, sm- smash me. Smash me, mommy. Smash me, mama. Smash me, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> The sirens alert. <laughs> Why do we strand. do this to ourselves? Strand me, baby. Strand, strand me, me, baby. So yeah, this is my brother, my brother, and me for Maximum Fun on Mondays. It's just like that. Just like that, but more. It's just like that, but more of it. There's, there's just more of that. Welcome back to Feeling Scene. I'm talking with actor, comedian, and singer Matt Rogers, who is touring his new album, Have You Heard of Christmas? He is feeling seen today by Kirsten Dunst's head cheerleader character, Torrance, from Bring It On. Let's get back to Matt. I, I, a thing that is a, such a great opportunity to have when people who are like cultural historians, such as <laughs> yourself, you're a chronicler of our times and these times, and also queer folks, is getting being able to get into sort of the minutia of the characters and like the 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 real life people involved in these sorts yeah. of things. So, like you said, you're watching Drop Dead Gorgeous on a loop along with Bring It On. We have Dick coming out about this time. Like this is this is that era, the sort of like hot hyper real 
um, extremely fun era of Kirsten yeah. Dunst. One of our One greats, of truly. But I wanted to hear about like Kirsten Dunst of that era and perhaps a, a connection to her as a performer at the time, as so many of us might have had. What was Kirsten oh, Dunst to you? She was in you? like all my favorite movies uh, at that time going forward. <laughs> I mean, just like the Drop Dead Gorgeous and Bring It On of it all. And what I'll also say mm-hmm. about it, and this is this is a compliment to her, but I didn't watch those movies again and again and again because I was a Kirsten Dunst super fan and I didn't leave those movies thinking about her. And I, I like I, I think that's a testament to her because she blended into both so well and was such a solid lead in both. I think that's completely also, true. Um, she's yes. been like that in everything. Like she so seamlessly matches mm-hmm. the tone of every project she does. Like starting uh-huh. with, you know, interview with the vampire all the way through to like the power of the dog. I mean, like she has always, wow. always, always showed like a versatility and like a real understanding of directorial style and Mm -hmm. tone Mm -hmm. and i did watch an interview with her probably a couple years ago where she was like you know what one thing you can't say about me is that i don't have good taste she's like (laughs) i have really good taste and she said don't she said don't think that i don't realize that like all my movies seem to hit like three or four years later she's like (laughs) a lot of my movies seem to be revisited later and and valued later so i think with power of the dog she was just saying it's just nice to um feel like this (laughs) recognition is coming now when it can actually benefit me in my career and i can receive an (laughs) award for it potentially um but she's given so many amazing performances and i mean since i I kind of like i I believe she's a little bit older than me but in a way i kind of grew up with her because i remember like yes absolutely jumanji and that was my favorite movie like (laughs) she was in these teen movies when i was a teen watching them like then you know she would be in other movies in my 20s 30s i mean spider-man she was iconically mary jane like yeah talk about like being like a marquee idol for the time i mean yeah seriously so yeah i mean she's just one of my favorites i was really pulling for her to win the Oscar for Power of the Dog. I thought she deserved it hands down. But, um, you know, there's more opportunities. When you're as good as her, I'm never um, doubtful that there'll be more opportunities. Well, and and Peyton Reed, I think, is such an interesting figure, too, the director of this movie, because he also, around this time, does Down With Love. Right. Which is perhaps a more gay movie than Bring It On. And it's like... totally. Purveyor and, of and, queer and holds cinema. Up well, too. Holds up well, yes. really well, too. I think people understand that now as like a satirical reference more yeah. than it was like an earnest thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think that yes. movie is way funnier and more clever than people give it credit for. And Renee and Ewan are so good. Um, that was the golden age of Renee, too. Oh, God, it really was. And we had Kyle Turner, the the writer Kyle Turner, chose oh, David yeah. Hyde Pierce's character in Down With Love. So we got to go along. And, like, that movie has David Hyde Pierce and Sarah Paulson. So it's also, like, actually very gay film. <laughs> totally. It was coded. It was queer coded. It was queer coded. What we were Exactly what we were working with in the odds. <laughs> yes. And you bringing the gay, you know, you bring the, the explicitly gay to Christmas, like something that is... Um, something that is, I think, implicitly so homosexual as a holiday uh-huh. and the pageantry uh-huh. and the festivities in the camp, like through doing Lost Culture, it's just like having this platform as you as Matt Rogers with like your best friend, Bowen, mm-hmm. as you have gotten to crystallize your voice as a person and a persona and as an entertainer and get more creative freedom as you do more things. Um, I guess I wanted to hear from you about what have you discovered your creativity 
has sort of led you to that maybe you didn't think was possible before where you are right now. That's really interesting. You know what I think is so funny is that I think because in my early 20s, when I was first starting to do comedy in a serious way, because I Mm -hmm. did it in college and um, it kind of felt like all very educational. Like, because mm-hmm. I was in New York, I went to NYU, we could go to UCB and take classes, we could even do shows there sometimes, but it felt very much like I was going to school for comedy in many ways. I was mm, a TV okay. writing major, um, I, I specialized in televised comedy, like sitcoms, and you know, wrote lots of spec scripts, and that was my education, and then I was doing the sketch group at NYU when I was taking classes at UCB, and the one thing that never changed is at that time, I just did not see any queer comedians. There just weren't. Like, there, of course, there was Ellen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Of course, there was like, but she was more of a daytime host at that point. Like, I just didn't see any like real out gay actors and like anyone doing it in a way that I recognized. And yeah. so what that caused was two things. One, I just did everything because yeah. I was like, well, at some point, the industry will come to my door and we'll meet each other there and I have to be ready to do everything, right? So I yeah. was an actor, I was a writer, I had this education in writing, I, I went out and did acting, I did mm-hmm. musical theater, I learned how to write musical comedy, I was like a sketch comedy mm-hmm. like machine, I was writing so many sketches all the time, I did character performance, <laughs> I did, um, you know, I, I, I worked on sets, I, I did everything. That So that was one thing, was I like over-prepared, right? Mm. Because that's just also goes back to my like queer identity. It's just like, okay, well then I'm just going to work the hardest because my father always used to say hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I was like, all these, all these models and all these actors who have this real acting training, like at some point I'm just going to show up and I'm going to work harder. Yeah. And I knew what that was like from my athletic upbringing. You know what I mean? And having a sports father, my dad was a varsity football and baseball coach for 40 years. He was often my coach, like, like I was like a serious track athlete. I ran a 436 mile. I was like a state (laughs) level cross country athlete. I was a championship. You know, I was, I was on the championship baseball team, my travel league. I hit lead Mm -hmm. off. I played center field. Like I was just like, I was a good student. I was like, I, I was Captain America. I was impervious to like failure because that's yeah. how seriously I took it. Right. Like yeah. best little boy in the world. They say that about gays. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to be the best little boy in the world so that no one can knock me because I have this thing about me. That's like awful and bad. Mm-hmm. So then I get to be in my twenties. I'm out of the closet and I'm overprepared. So that's one thing. Two, because, because <laughs> I'm overprepared. I'm overprepared. So two is because I couldn't see anyone like me, I kind of was yeah. just like, all right, well, maybe it's not going to happen. And I'll just figure out a way to like um, figure out my own voice over time and I'll play the long game with this. So then Bo and Yang and mm-hmm. I get this podcast. And yeah. we, we think podcasts are done. It's 2016. We're like, oh, podcasts are <laughs> over. We're really going to start a podcast now. Like, yeah, right. So we get there. We, we're doing our podcast. We're just talking like ourselves because we're not assuming that anyone's going to listen to it. I'm literally yeah. just like thinking, oh, a podcast will just be another thing I put on the resume, etc. Yeah. Then suddenly the podcast caught on. And because I didn't have this like 
voice I was trying to be like or this yeah. person I was trying to emulate. I was just myself and Bowen was just himself and we was ju- we were mm-hmm. just ourselves. And then all of a sudden, when I gained a following because of that, I realized that not only am I a viable comedy voice, but yeah. I didn't need that person to really look up to. I looked up to people that were women, like Margaret Cho, Sandra mm-hmm. Bernhard. Those were my comedic influences. And then I loved The Lonely Island for what they did with music. And I loved the mm-hmm. entire cast of Saturday Night Live at that time. And, you know, I just realized at a certain point, like, oh, wow, I actually am a comedically viable voice, even even though I couldn't see it, like from when I was younger coming up. So those two things, like being overprepared and then stumbling into my own comedic voice actually mm-hmm. sort of made it so that I don't really have to discover anything new anymore about my comedic yeah. abilities and my comedic voice. I know my comedic voice. I've had it all along. And yeah. from just assuming that I'd have to be ready for anything, I can kind of do everything. I mean, and I, I don't say that patting myself on the back. I worked my ass off. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it, it like but I have written in writing rooms. I've written for the other two. I've written for Q Force. I've was put on the voice cast of Q Force and I literally learned mm-hmm. how to use my voice from doing the podcast. I've mm-hmm. studied acting as much as I could outside of my actual writing education so that mm-hmm. when it was time to start auditioning, I kind of knew what I was doing and then I was on, you know, I love that for you and I've booked other things. So it's like at this point it's half like just my own, you know, <laughs> brutal work ethic from growing up. And also the <laughs> yeah. other half, like sort of fake it till you make it that has sort of all combined. And like, now I have this project where I have an album out and all of a sudden it's like, here I am having released an album and it makes sense to me. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. they, they didn't say like, Hey, do you want a record deal? And I was like, Oh, but I'm not a singer. It's like, actually you are because you worked really hard on it and you know you wrote all this material it's not like i went in with a demo and got a record deal i had the album ready i did it i created it and it just so happens that i'm at the point now where people want to elevate it so it's it's weird did people see you singing with megan fahey at on on twitter (laughs) like from vulture and say like we need to throw a record opportunity you know what it wasn't that but i but you know what here's what i'll say I'm happy I wasn't too shy to sing when Megan Fahey started singing at the show. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, (laughs) at this point, it's just like, I didn't get anywhere by being shy or being a wilting flower. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I got here Mm -hmm. by being myself on 10. So I'm going to keep being myself on 10. (laughs) Because it seems to work This album came from... You being Taylor Swift, Taylor, like exactly. we, we know, we know that you're not afraid to sing. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like I, I just feel like I'm following the fun, and yeah, that's really what I can say. I'm really happy about in my career as I have the opportunity to follow the fun, and I'm really living the life I always wanted to live. I mean, I'm on tour performing a show that I wrote and I really love with people I really mm-hmm. love, and and I have things to look forward to. So. Um, in terms of your question, which is like, what has it led me to? It's kind of just reinforced things for me. And I think That's that so ultimately my role models were the right people. Because I'll also say mm-hmm. this. One of the people that I looked up to the most when I was in my early 20s was Amy Poehler. And I read her mm-hmm. book. And she, it, her book is called Yes, Please. Like an emphatic mm-hmm. yes. Like she was always just saying, one of the things she says in her book is, if you're having fun, they're having fun. And that is a hack mm-hmm. that will work every single time. 
And so I just try to go out there and have fun and let that be contagious and like have faith in in that, in the contagiousness of that idea. And Mm -hmm. so I think like that's been my hack into the system is I just go out there and I have fun and I'm (laughs) able to have fun because I'm, overprepared <laughs> <laughs> well I think that that overpreparedness I, I so appreciate that because that gets at something I've talked about so many times on this podcast with with queer folks who've come on which is like the sort of creative genius that has to germinate in your mind as somebody who doesn't have linear examples of yourself yeah. in pop culture to graft yourselves onto or to look up to or to model yourself after then you have to get used to finding yourself places or fitting yourself places that you shouldn't or wouldn't necessarily exist. And you get really good at doing that in a way that if you don't have to go through the conscious and subconscious training of it, if you find yourself suddenly in a situation where that's applicable, you might freeze. But it's like, oh, no, shit, I've been doing this my whole life. Like, I, I, I had to I had to see myself in Kirsten Dunst. Like, I had to grab, I had to right. see myself in, like, divas of song because, like, I wasn't seeing the exact, like, gay comic that I needed to see to guide the, to be the guiding light for and me. And I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll, I'll be totally honest with you. So it took me a while to get back about who I was going to choose for this because uh-huh, I uh-huh. kept saying to myself, like, who is it? Like, I don't know yeah. who it is. And I almost even canceled because I was just like, I don't think I can find a gay character that mm-hmm. I can say and point to and really be like, that's who it was. I don't think I ever felt one to one scene ever. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so I'm picking this like cheerleading captain and bring it on because I do understand <laughs> her. But even yeah. d- did she make me feel seen? Not really, mm-hmm. but I got her. I understood her. I understand why she cared about the things she cared about. But I'm not even going to lie to you, Jordan. Like, it was hard for me to be like, oh, yeah, I have a character that I felt seen by in yeah. television because I did not. I did not. Well, the people that I'm most interested in having on the show, the people that I feel most drawn to talking to are the ones that I know are going to have the hardest time answering this question because those are the conversations that lead right. you in the most places. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot so of I'm sense. So I'm really glad you didn't cancel. Thanks for not no, doing no, that. No, no, you know what? And I, 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 I went through a bunch of people and I was like, how can I make this a bit or a joke? Like, I almost did like <laughs> share and clueless because like everyone, everyone wants to see themselves as that girl. But sure. like, I was like, then I thought like, oh, okay, my, let's just think about what my favorite movies were. I know my favorite mm-hmm. movie was Bring It On. I watched it again and again <laughs> and again. And so then I guess I tried to do like a little bit of like a therapy exercise on myself. Like, sure, yeah. you liked it because it was a fun movie to watch. You loved the dance routines. Like, you thought it was funny, et cetera. But like, there must have been something about it deeper yeah. than just the aesthetic and comedic value of it. Like, what was it? And I yeah. genuinely think it was these captains of these teams Mm-hmm. Torrance and Isis, who were really, really in this to win this because <laughs> yeah. it meant something about them yeah. to succeed, like to, mm-hmm. to, to be a functional leader, to be a valuable member of their community. It, it mm-hmm. meant something bigger. Watch going out of bounds. It just like crazy for that stuff. Are you going for sainthood or something? You don't want to blow it on something tiny. Look, me and my squad made it to the big show without any of your help. I think we can handle it. Stay in bounds. If any of you step outside that ugly blue carpet, you are dead. Happy? Yes. So your girl in the end, she's about a half second early on all her moves. Okay, I will. Happy? Yep. Hey, remember. Bring it. 
And what the hell was that about? We just understand each other, that's all. My dad always said, like, your school is your community. Like, you go in there and, like, you show up and you are a visible, you know, productive part of the community. And I mm -hmm. I tried to be, but it was hard to juggle the truth about myself with that. You know what I mean? It was, like, difficult. Besides making it rain on Christmas, it sounds like your dad is also a man of wisdom. Well, he was uh, – he, he he's changed a lot over the years. You know, he's – mm -hmm. I think this happens with men a lot. My dad was – tough on me you know what i mean like i not mm. that he expected a lot but i knew to just give a lot already it wasn't yeah. like i came home from school every day and he was like this gruff parent he was a very yeah. proud parent he was very good parent like he still is to this day but i think that his reputation kind of preceded him and i'm the mm. oldest son and so you know just wanting to make him proud and also be valuable to him and myself mm -hmm. um was a lot of the reason why I am the way I am right now, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's funny because now I don't even have to think about impressing him or doing something to validate myself in his eyes because I'm a full-grown man and everything's mm -hmm. worked out for me. But um, it's it's so funny to watch him become this like very emotional person because mm -hmm. like he always was in like a like a like a like a dad way and now he's like yeah. a puddle i can feel the man like wanting to burst into <laughs> tears whenever i tell him oh. any new thing about my life and it's just so <laughs> interesting like i i don't know where that comes from maybe one day if i'm a father and my kid grows up and you know then i'll get it but i've seen him really emotionally morph watching your parents get older is wild i can't it's so rough not rough. It's just, it is, it is, yeah, if it's what you're saying. Time is just a funny thing. It just does fun, mm -hmm. funny things to people. When I think of Las Culturistas and I think of it, you and Bowen together, it's, I, I feel like such a gift of like the reason podcasts weren't over yet in 2016, I feel like is, is because in part because like you develop these relationships with people, it, like listening to them so frequently. But like when you have a partner that you do this with and it works and you get to do it for a long time, you become like the keeper of each other's records. Like, you know, like you guys have a friendship outside the podcast, obviously, but like your your friends and like your close creative partners, like they become the keeper of each other's time I think and the keeper of, the, of each other's records. It's one of the craziest things about it is like we have this like so essentially we have a diary. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I always thought to myself, like, oh, man, did I fuck up by not keeping a diary? And I'm like, I have. You know what I mean? Like, I have. <laughs> it's actually, You're like, everyone's just read my diary. It's actually quite a long one. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, you know, I just did another interview before this, and she was like, I just went back and listened to the first episode of the podcast. And my instinct is to cringe. Because I think that right. we have this idea of anything that's in the past must hold something cringeworthy or bad or yeah. problematic, et cetera. And I'm just learning to look at it like, you know what? I know who I am. Like, yeah. I, I, I've always come at things with good intentions. I've always worked hard. I've always, you know, um, you know, I've always been someone I stand by. Uh, so yeah. hopefully like when all is said and done and like that is just a living document, not a living document, it's currently a living document, I guess. But yeah. when it is like yeah. a finished document at some point, who knows when that time will come, I'll be able to 
not listen to it all the time because that would be psychotic. But like, <laughs> yeah, go back and go fun. back and jump in and be like, oh wow, that's what I was at in my life, and like it's there forever. You know what I mean? It's really, it's kind of nice. Yeah. Have you found that like what your dad said, like like the work going farther than the talent if the talent doesn't work hard. Entertainment is a tough business. It is. Like, meritocracy would not necessarily be an honest way to describe it. No. Like, but like you said, you're overprepared. Like, how have you found that your overpreparedness and hard work, like, has that gotten you what you need to get where you are today? Or is it, is luck just a huge ingredient in it? Or like, how has your, has your hard work, do you feel like paid off for you? Or have you had to develop other skills in addition to the hard work to get it over the finish line? I think that one thing is just being kind to people and and surrounding yourself yeah. with kind people is so huge. Because, you know, like you said, like I've been on the other side of things. Like I, I worked for Vulture at Vulture Fest and I interviewed people. Like I've been on, you know, I've been a host of a podcast, had people come on, and I see I see <laughs> the differences in someone who, like, really treats people well and someone who doesn't. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I just think, like, yeah, you can work hard, really hard, and you can also be really yeah. talented or just one of those things or not yeah. or neither, <laughs> and you can succeed. <laughs> but ultimately what you'd have you – have, you have control – over those things in some degree, but you really mm-hmm. have full 100% control over being kind. And you have 100% mm-hmm. control over treating people well and making people feel, feel seen and respected. And so mm-hmm. that's, I guess, the number one thing because it's not just hard work and talent. It's also the way that you treat people. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that that's something I really never try to forget is that mm-hmm. um, legitimately, like, it is a hard business. It's not a meritocracy and decisions can be made just by one person. And so if you yeah. didn't treat that person well, like you might suffer for that. So I, that, and, and mm-hmm. it's also like, it makes me feel good to go into a room and feel, and, and to spread the positive energy. You know what I mean? It makes me feel good mm-hmm. to, to leave places better than I found it. I just always, always, always try and remember that because you know, it, it's so easy and yet for some people it yeah. seems so hard but yeah. like I, i'm i'm happy i i you know a good work ethic was instilled in me and thank god i'm talented <laughs> because i yeah, could have shown up one day like and and then been like oh wait i'm not talented i better really figure this out yeah. <laughs> yeah. i better sleep with someone famous um yeah <laughs> uh, but but ultimately it's being nice just be nice just be nice well, in the in the cheerocracy of this of this <laughs> landscape, Matt, I would I would love to have you in the captain's seat on the team. Thank you. Oh my God, what a good line! <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a democracy; it's a cheerocracy, and I'm overruling you, Courtney. This is not a democracy; it's a cheerocracy. I'm sorry, but I'm overruling you. You are being a cheer tater, Torrance, and a pain in my ass. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much, Matt, for coming on, for taking the time today, and for talking about this most important text yes. in cinema history. I truly appreciate it. And guys, you can catch Matt on tour, and you can also buy his album. And have you heard of Christmas? Because he can tell you all about I it. I sure can. <laughs> What a delight to speak with the one and only, the Christmas Prince himself, 
uh, surely to be deemed as such one day by Mariah Carey. It's just a matter of time. Matt Rogers. Check out his remaining tour dates at mattrogersofficial.com and listen to the album wherever you get your music. It's called Have You Heard of Christmas? And it is both beautiful and hilarious. And it also gives us the untold narrative of Mrs. Claus, who is left every every year by her surely two-timing and deceiving husband. And now, one quick thing before I go. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, everybody. If you are looking for some, I don't know, depending on your family, uh, some family viewing material this holiday season, don't forget to check out some Christmas hits that might not necessarily be immediately associated with the uh, merriment and joy of the Yuletide season, why don't you put on a Christmas horror story? That's a fun anthologized set of tales. Uh, why don't you put on, and this one's, this one's for the hardcore fans out there, and if you've ever dabbled in the new French extremity, you may have heard of the movie Inside. Well, I'm tired of debating whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I simply don't care. I'll put it all to you to dice and slice whether or not Inside by uh, Bustillo and Maury is actually a Christmas film. Watch it, check it out, weigh in among your friends. Uh, you could also check out Christmas Bloody Christmas from last year by Joe Bigos. That is a very fun time, and Riley Dandy is giving a fantastic lead performance. Anna and the Apocalypse, a musical Christmas extravaganza amidst a zombie invasion, equally as fun. Gremlins, Can't Deny It, a Christmas special. Better watch out. A uh, very fun sort of The Call is Coming from Inside of the House Killer Thriller by Chris Peckover from 2016. Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale is always an excellent one. Honestly, I could go on and on. There's clearly Black Christmas. There's clearly franchises like Silent Night, Deadly Night, um, and those those hits of yore. But one that I do want to plug that I think people do forget about, P2. P2 starring... Uh, a creepy Wes Bentley who is a man so good at being creepy. A surprisingly good and taut and very, um, like a little bottle episode of a horror movie that really, really dials up the suspense. So, again, depending on your family's tastes, predilections, comfort with gore, violence, and the like, could have a whole Christmas marathon for you right there. And that... Happy Holidays is our show. Remember, you can get your own feeling scene merch, including all kinds of canonically queer shirts at maxfunstore.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at feelingscenepod or send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jor Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.